Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the online version of the Christian Church of Estes Park, where we are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And this is a surreal experience to preach to almost an empty room. Uh, but I'm glad that you are with us here today. We're not a virtual church. We're very much a real church. And so uh, excited to have you here. Uh, my name is Aaron, and uh, we're going to be continuing our series in Isaiah. And uh, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool that it was over a year ago. That as we went together and we prayed and we thought about what God would have us preach about, uh, it was a year ago, we selected these, these chapters today. And I think it's pretty interesting how our God is a God of not just the past or the present, He's a God of the future and He knows it all and He cares for us. And last week we got to look in, in Isaiah as how God has a, a protection for us that is not like the rest of the world, that is not like anything else, that God's protection is holy. And today we get to continue on and in that message and we go through the book of Isaiah and we see how God, how he has got something for us so amazing. It gives us a peace that is real, a peace that sustains us. One of our, our, my friends and one of our church members this morning sent me an interesting uh, letter. It was from uh, Martin Luther. It was uh, written to one of his friends, uh, the Reverend Dr. John Hess at a time that uh, his congregation was going through a, a health situation. It was called the plague. And uh, this is what he wrote his friend uh, as to what they should do with churches and how Christians ought to respond. Martin Luther said, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me, so I'm not responsible for either my own death nor the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Isn't it great to know that uh, we have a long tradition of faith, that we get to continue with this, that our God is a God that gives us wisdom in the midst of, of difficult times, but not fear. And so uh, as we continue this series in Isaiah, as we look at the holiness of God and the hope that God has, let's remember his presence that carried Martin Luther through those difficult days is the same God who carries us now. And so uh, as we begin, of course, our memory verse is, uh, comes to us from Isaiah Six, where we're reminded of what is being spoken around God's holy throne room today, where the seraphim are there and they're proclaiming to one another that holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that is just as true today as ever. So let's remind ourselves of that passage. Just say it along with me, even at home. I know it sounds weird. You're not talking to the screen. You're talking to God. So here we go. Three, two, one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6, 3. Let's remind ourselves of that one more time here. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6, Three And one more time, just to test ourselves, here we are. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6, 3. Isn't it wonderful and peaceful to know that God still fills this earth? 
that he is with us today and he's at every corner of the globe. And we're going to see today how God gives us hope and peace and wisdom for times just like this. And so if you have your Bibles, if you wouldn't mind opening them to Isaiah chapter 9. If you have one of our Bibles, congratulations, you took one home, and that's fantastic. But you could join us on page 479 if you did. If you're, uh, obviously, you're visiting us online, there's also a tab right next to the sermon that has scripture. You can type it in there. Now, Isaiah chapter 9 comes six years after the events of Isaiah 7. We find our year, ourselves at the year 733. You ever, year 733 and 732 were pretty hard years for the nation of Israel. You see, in those years, God did deliver uh, the Jerusalem from the attack of the kingdoms of the north. They didn't get to come down and attack just like God had promised, right? And so good things were happening there. But instead of turning to God, the people turned to ancestral worship. Instead of asking God for direction and help, they started praying to their dead ancestors for direction and wisdom and all of this. And because they turned away from God, there was a lot of darkness in the land. And so that's where we pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 9. In the midst of all of this, Isaiah says to the people, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee by the nations, by the way of the sea, and beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now understand what he's saying here. Remember the map that we had last week. The Assyrian Empire was threatening from the north. And Jerusalem is that purple area in that purple area called Judah in the south. And the northern ten tribes in Israel were right above them. And to the north of them, we had Syria. And so what we find is the year 733, we have the kingdom of Assyria goes and attacks those two nations that were north of them and eliminates their threat and delivers Judah from that, which was a good thing. But where Israel was being, where the Assyrians came down, there was a, where their assault was, was this particular area in Jerusalem that which he talks about. The first one is that little green area there, and that's the land of Zebulun, which is where Nazareth happens to be. That was right in the middle of the Assyrian assault. And north of them, in a kind of a bigger swath of an area, was the land that was given to Naphtali, which was also called Galilee. Now, in the middle of the assault, in the place that it was absolutely worst hit, the prophet declares that God is going to do something right there. But it doesn't just start there, right in the middle of the assault. He said that there is going to be, that, that the land would be, uh, the future would be honored by Galilee of the nations, by the way of the sea, and, behind, and beyond the Jordan. To understand what he's saying there, we have to understand that when the Assyrians took over, they divided that land up into three major areas. You have the first one is going to be Dor, which is also known as the way of the sea. And on the other side of it, you have Gilead, which is beyond the Jordan. It's the Transjordan area. And right there in the middle was Megiddo, also known as Galilee of the nations. And the prophet says that God will, will deliver the people. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Notice where the light shines. Right in the middle where Megiddo is. 
right in the middle of, of their darkest place, Zebulun, Nephtali. Right there in the center is where the light shines out. And how far does it shine? From border to border, from side to side, from sea to the desert, God is going to deliver his people from the heart of darkness to the very edge of the world. Isn't that fantastic? That is the nature of our God. And so in verse 3, we see, and he's talking about God when he says you here. He says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, for fuel for the fire. God is going to bring a great deliverance. The very things that brought them terror are the very things that will be completely obliterated. Right there, starting at the place, the epicenter of the fear. And this is a great thing that it, then, of course, it leads to great joy. And that is the message of God to people who live in a land of darkness. That darkness is not our future. That our God, His protection is holy. And he's at work doing something great even now. And so our joy is not in the darkness we see today, but in the power and the work of our God who brings redemptive purposes to this world. And it's a great joy, not a small joy. Notice he says the people, they rejoice like, like a person dividing plunder. Like a, it's like you got an extra paycheck kind of joy. It's, it's the kind of joy that says, you know, you, you get some time off of work and get to hang out at home with your friends kind of joy. God, God is a God of great joy. And so he does. He, he delivers us. In what nature? He uses Gideon as the picture of that. He says, in the day of Midian's defeat, and he's referring back to hundreds of years before the events that took place in Isaiah's day. Hundreds of years before that, there was this guy named Gideon. The smallest and the weakest, the most unlikely of deliverers. He was a guy who was hiding in his own uh, house, basically. Hiding, trying to make sure that he wasn't going to set the raiding bands of the Midianites who were going to come through there. A man who was terrified. And God shows up and says, you mighty warrior, I'm going to use you. And he says, well, who am I? And God says, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am, and I'm sending you. Don't be afraid. And it is that same God who calls us. It is the same God who's been at work throughout all of history. Our God uses sometimes the most unlikely of heroes. He delivers in sometimes the most unlikely of ways, but he delivers consistently, predictably. Our God is still on the throne. He is still a powerful God. And so we read this and we say, all right, God is going to deliver the land. From the very heart of darkness, a light will shine, will deliver the people. There will be great joy. Well, right now, there's only great devastation and fear. There will be great joy. How? And I imagine a lot of us are asking that question. How, Lord? You're present in our life today. Your promise is good. How are you going to help us through this? Well, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders. The most unlikely of ways that God delivers a child? The Assyrians were some pretty bad dudes. When they attacked, they built monuments about how wicked and evil that they could destroy their people with, how vicious they were. And God is going to counter the wickedness of the Assyrians and the wickedness of, of people who would seek after dead ancestors, not through another warrior, but through a baby. To understand that our God is different, He is holy. That our God doesn't fight fire with fire. Or another way to put that, He doesn't fight darkness with darkness. God did not need to bring a bully into the world to beat another bully. He didn't need to bring another war to end another war. Our God doesn't fight fair. He fights righteously. He fights definitively. Our God didn't need an army to crush the kingdom of darkness. He just needed a child. But as a unique kind of child... We read about this child and who he's going to be. He says that this child is going to be born. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is the nature of the one that would be born, and it points us to Jesus. A child would be born, somebody uh, that's human, but a son would be given. Now, it reminds us that that Jesus wasn't just born, but he came to us from God. As we read even Jesus' own words in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That Jesus existed long before the world ever was made. In fact, he made it. And he'll exist long after this world is done. And this child was born, the Son was given, is God and man. It's exactly what we need. And he's going to have some things in his kingdom that he's going to do for us. And we are part of his kingdom now. He's going to be a wonderful counselor. Our God is compassionate and wise. In days like today, could you use some counsel? Some wisdom? Would it be nice to have someone that may have a better grip on what's happening and what we should do than, I don't know, the talking heads on TV? But our God is not just up in heaven just hoping that we get it right or waiting for us to get it wrong. God has gifted us the very presence of His Holy Spirit. He has gifted us with access to His holy throne room. And He tells us in His Word time and time again, if you need wisdom, come. And He will not show us the wrong ways to go. He's not an okay counselor. He doesn't give mm, all right advice. He's not even a good counselor that gives pretty decent advice. Our God is a wonderful counselor. If you need help and direction, God invites you to come and to ask him humbly. Not for your way, but for his, and he will show us what to do. Don't need to be panicked. Our God is not up in heaven wringing his hands right now. He is not worried about what's happening today. The coronavirus, I don't think, worries him. And our God doesn't practice social distancing. He's still present with us right now. 
And he's there to guide us. And his steady hand will guide us today, tomorrow, and into forever. He is a wonderful counselor, and we can count on him in his word and his wisdom. Not only will it navigate us through this time, but will allow us as a church to rise up in the midst of this time. That even in the place of the heart of darkness, our God can shine a light there. He's present today. But he's not just a wonderful counselor. He also has some power. He's a mighty God. Let us not forget this. Sometimes people misunderstand Jesus is just a good teacher, a wonderful counselor. But Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus conquered sin and death. You saw today as we had a baptism. That's the declaration. That he has the power not just to guide us to a better life, but the ability to bring us to life and a life abundantly. That our God can conquer our own sin and our own death, but he also has conquered the entire world. Jesus did promise us in this world you will have trouble. Let's not forget the second part of that. He says, I told you so you can have peace in me because I have overcome this world. What hope and joy do we have? God is bigger than what we're facing today. He is more steadfast in the stock market. Our God is protecting us. He is powerful to save, not just in, in tiny, insignificant ways. He is a powerful God. How awesome is it that powerful God is with us? And we find that he's not just powerful and wise. Like, some God that sits up on top of Mount Olympus that we have to go make a pilgrimage and maybe he might accept us. But he's our everlasting father. He's eternal. Jesus didn't preach a God that aged out. He didn't preach a God who was, is going to be for, for a while and then he's going to leave. He's there with us forever. We can count on him. But he's also loving. He is our father. He has a vested interest in the health and the security and, and the goodness of his children. And that doesn't mean that we won't suffer. It means that if we do suffer, God will carry us in it and through it. And he will redeem it. But it also means he's going to help us. He'll provide all of our needs. Last week, we even talked about that. Where Jesus said, the people of this world, he said, the pagans worry all their lives about all these things that are important. Like, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? Or in modern day, he could say things like, you know, how about my job? Right? What am I going to do if people stop coming because they are social distancing? They're going to worry about things like, you know, how about our supply chains? They're going to worry about things like, what am I going to use for toilet paper? And Jesus says, we don't have to be like that because we have an everlasting Father who knows our needs he cares for us. The invitation is this. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness above all else. God's got us. We're not worried about a supply chain that goes to China. We have a supply chain that comes from heaven. Our God is universal in what he owns and his ability to care for his people everywhere. Seek him. He'll care for us. But seek him first. His righteousness above all else, because he's holy. Our everlasting Father, we can trust him in his love. And because of those first three things, we get to this wonderful thing that we could use right now, a prince of peace. 
The best way I can describe this week from Wednesday on is COVID crazy. It's been nuts. It's been amazing the level of panic and fear and anxiety. And I understand that this is something that we're taking seriously. Like we read Martin Luther, we want to be wise, not as unwise. And we want to be prudent. But let's not panic. There is no need to hoard or to, to fear other people or this invisible boogeyman that's out there that might get us. We'll be wise. If you may get our house, we'll wash our hands, we'll do all those things. But our God is still there. We know God's sovereignty is not threatened in the slightest by a disease or by pestilence or by war or by brokenness or even by death. As Romans reminds us that nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that is why where Christ reigns, there is peace. It doesn't mean that we don't have concern. It means we don't have anxiety. You suffer with anxiety in these times of panic. The Lord invites you to come, invites you to trust him, invites you to, to partake in his kingdom. For where he is, there is peace. And he's told us how to find that peace. He says to come to him and talk to him. And Ephesians, we're reminded, Philippians, we're reminded, all these in Scripture, reminded so many times just to bring our concerns and our cares to Him. We bring them up because we know He listens and He has the power to do something about it and He'll give us good counsel as we go through it. But as we bring our prayers to Him with thanksgiving, thanking Him for who He is, it says that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In this time of darkness, as people seem to grope about wondering what's going to happen, not knowing the future, aren't you grateful that the light has shown? That we know exactly who is in the future. And he says, I'm here and I invite you to walk this path with me and I will not drop you and I will not leave you and I will not forsake you, but I will use you greatly to minister and to serve others in my wonderful holy name. For where there is brokenness, there will be joy. That is the good news of Jesus. And so we find that, that this is our God, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. And I want you to see there in verse 7 that tells us something about His reign. It says, Of the greatness of His government and of peace, there will be no end. The nice thing about being no end means no expiration date. The faith has not grown stale. God's ability to help us has not somehow diminished. Jesus came. He conquered sin and death. He conquered the brokenness of our separation between us and God. And now that we are united with God, God is now with us because we are with him. And there is no end to that. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is not dependent upon little tiny things of what happens here and there in history. It is here and there is no end to his reign. We don't have to worry about our king getting sick or our king going away or our king retiring. Jesus is on the throne, high and exalted. And his robe even fills the temple with glory. This gives us hope. We don't have to worry if if this present darkness will outlast the light and the goodness of our king, it can't. Jesus is still in control. And because there's no end to his kingdom, 
It says this about his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. From that time on. And the reason that he will do this, it says in that next verse, is that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. That God is not halfway into this. God is not, "Mm, maybe I will help you, maybe I won't. We'll see how people do. God is zealous. And we use that word zealous. Oftentimes in a negative context. People who are just so hard after something that nothing will dissuade them. Our God is so committed to salvation and to redemption and to hope and to life that nothing will stop him. Not us, not this world, not the brokenness that we've caused. The zeal of our God is what's going to do this. And that's what gives us hope. Because I'll tell you, as people, I've been watching the news. I've been watching how everybody does things. And when we freak out, we become selfish. But in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the darkness, our God became selfless and he came to save us and he is passionate about it. And that same passion burns brightly in the bosom of God today, which is why right now our God cares about us and you. He's not distant. He's not indifferent. Our God is powerful. And he's at work. Our God has made us a lot of promises. He said, I will save you. If you come to me in faith, then any who would come to Jesus by faith will be saved. It's not based upon what we've done, but who he is. Our God has made his promise that when we are saved, he will fill us with his Holy Spirit and his presence will never depart us. Our God has promised that if we put our hope and our trust in him, we seek him, his kingdom, his righteousness, that he will provide for us and care for us. Our God has promised us that his children will not suffer one small thing that he will not use to benefit them and to build his kingdom. Our God doesn't make promises that build him up. Our God has made promises that we need that protect us, that provide for us, that build us up as his people. The point of all this chapter is this is that God's promise is holy. It's not unlike, it's not like anything else. Our God is not like anyone else. Our God is better than the CDC. Our God is better than any vaccination you could ever get. Our God is better than the stock market. Our God is better than anything that we could ever hope for. He's unlike anything else. He is present and he's powerful and he can actually do great things even in the midst of darkness. He's not afraid of it. He's not panicked. And God's promise that he gave us, a child was born, a son was given. He did the impossible. God became man. He took on flesh. The immortal became mortal at the same time. He died for our sins. The holy, righteous one of God took on the sins of humanity and died and destroyed them. God is in the habit of doing the impossible to keep his word. If he can do all of that, can we trust him today? Can... Can you and me, my brothers and sisters, can we go to him, this wonderful counselor, as he guides us through this time? He's there. His wisdom is there. He's not worried. Nice should, should his children be. All the direction we need is with him. Our mighty God is assuring us, I've got the ability to handle this. He's at work in and amongst his church, so let us be at work in amongst us. Our Heavenly Father, He provides for us. He protects us. So like Martin Luther, let's not be stupid and go and get around a bunch of people and and pass contagion. Yes, we don't want to be foolhardy, but let's also not be panicked. Can 
Can the everlasting Father give us a heart for those that are also suffering? Our neighbors that may be panicked? For those who, who are wondering if they'll have enough? Our God provides for us. We have an everlasting Father. Can we help them connect with Him? And with the goodness that He's blessed us with? Instead of hoarding goods, can we hoard good deeds? Our Prince of Peace, He comforts us. If you have anxiety... I would say this, take a step away from the news for a couple days. Spend time with our God. Not that we don't want to be uninformed with things that are out there. I think it's good for us to understand. But know this more than the temporary of what's happening today and tomorrow. Our God is eternal and he's with us. Take some time and spend with him. Thank him for who he is. Ask him for wisdom, direction, for vision. He'll not let you down. His promise is holy. But how do we apply this? Well, I think there's some practical things we can do. I think the first thing we can do, we need to follow Christ's teaching. That's what we need to do. When God has told us what to do, he's given us a lot of great instructions, and that's why it's important in this time, let us be in the word. Let us seek his advice and counsel. It's timeless. Help Martin Luther through a, a little bit worse of a plague. It'll help us too. Spend time asking him and applying what he has to say. Our God has never told us to become selfish. He's never told us to become a type of people that become self-protective. He says, let me provide for you and love other people. So let's follow his word. Let's turn to God first for our protection. If we as a community, obviously we want to help the the medical professionals and all those other people that get their things done, can we pray for them that God gives them the good ideas? Can we be praying for our president and for those that are in Congress and those that are making decisions right now? Can we pray that God guides them? If the church isn't asking, who is? Can we pray that God would protect this community in Estes Park? That he would slow and even cease the spread of this contagion? Can we ask him to do that? Can we pray for our neighbors and our friends? especially those that are suffering with anxiety. It's for our children that are so worried in this time. Can we be praying for them and reminding them and encouraging them that our God is still real? I think we need to turn to God first for protection. Let us do what we can do. And I think we need to trust in God's provision. I know this is hard for a lot of folks. The stock market has really dropped. There have been a lot of uh, businesses in town that are worried if people don't come in, where are they going to? And that's a legitimate things or legitimate fears and concerns. So let's not forget that God provides for us. And he provides sometimes in the most unlikely ways. Sometimes to answer a mighty, brutal army, he sends a baby. But it's precisely what we need. So let's trust in God's provision. Let's not turn to the dead ancestors and the ways of the past. Let's turn to our living God and watch him deliver us, and he will. And as we do that, let's rest in God's peace. The people of God have part of the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is a kingdom of peace. And so as we conclude this message from that chapter in Isaiah, there are some next steps that I'm going to challenge us to take. For those of you at home, I hope that you filled out your connection card, a digital one that was a lot of fun to put together. It's a little tab. You can click it if you haven't already. It'll open up a new tab. It won't make you lose our live stream. Just let us know you're here. 
But down on that, there's some next steps that we're going to challenge you to take right now. Some ways to practice this faith. And on there, one of the things I'm going to challenge us all to do is memorize Isaiah 6.3. You're stuck at home with other people, so annoy them. Just keep repeating God's word. Take advantage of the time. But memorize and remember that our God is holy, holy, holy. And he is almighty. And the whole world is full of his glory. Remind ourselves of this in this interesting time. Another thing I'm going to challenge us to do, if you are wanting to read all the way through Isaiah in this series, then this week, read Isaiah 24 through 35, those chapters. I think you'll find them very apropos for the days in which we live. Another thing that I'm going to challenge us to do is to counter panic with prayer. And this is how that can look. If you are feeling anxious, take your anxieties before God. He will hear you. Ask him for his wisdom and direction. And thank him for who he is. Say, God, I need help. Thank you that you are a wonderful counselor. I need some wisdom right now to know what I do with my business or my family. Or to how to help my neighbor. I need your guidance and I'm worried about this. Thank you that you're a wonderful counselor and you know what's going on. Well, God, you know what? I'm looking at what's happening. I don't know how we're going to make it through this. I'm grateful that you're a mighty God that you can provide, that you have the ability and the power to protect us. That's praying with thanksgiving. And we can counter our panic with that kind of prayer. And the word of God says, as we do that, the peace of God will. It says the peace of God doesn't even make sense. Guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Fourth thing I'm going to challenge us to do is to find peace in his promise. In today's Christ. I don't know how many weeks that we are not going to be able to meet together. Hopefully it's just one, but however long it is, we'll keep you up to date on that. Know this, that our God is on the throne and that we're still a powerful church and we're going to find peace in God's promise in the midst of this. He will carry us. He's carried us through a fire, literally. He's carried us through a flood, literally, and he will carry us through pestilence. He will literally do that too. So find peace in him. Find your rest in him. And so in the next couple weeks, we invite you to come back to our, our website, funchurch.com. We'll keep you updated. There are some ways that we're looking at how we as a church can begin serving our community in and through this time. But uh, that's what we have. Hope you made your commitments. Also, write your prayer requests on there. I want to be praying with you and for you. And so if you would share those, write that down, hit send, send it on in, and that will be a way for us to be able to, to join and partner with you in this time. Now, as the worship team comes up, let me also remind you that this time we also want to give. This is not the time to hoard. This is the time to rest on God's power. And as a church, this is a time for us to shine in our ability to be uh, meeting the needs of our community. And so on that tab up above, there's a place to say they give. This is where you'll collect your tithe and your offering. Trust in God, his provision. Seek his kingdom, his righteousness above all else to give generously like we always do, and let's as a church, let's serve this community in a transformative way. Join me as we pray, and we'll have the worship team come and lead us out with some good worship. Let's go to our God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your power and your mercy and your love and your... God, you are this wonderful counselor. Lord, we look to you. You know how to help us through this, and that's why we're coming to you. And we ask for this church that you would bless us with wisdom, each one, from the leadership of this church to every single member, God, that you would guide us through this time. Help us to know what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. 
Father, help us to be prudent and wise and good. Lord, we thank you for that uh, promise that if we come and ask for wisdom, you've given it. So in advance, we say thank you. Father, we're grateful that you are a mighty God, that you are bigger than this pestilence, that you can not only heal sick people, you can raise the dead. And so, Father, we have no fear. So, Lord, we pray and we invite your power that your Holy Spirit would come and protect this congregation and this community, that you would guide all of our leaders and protect this nation and help us in this time not only be set free from this plague, but, Father, also that we would be set free from the bondage of thinking that we had the answers and the ability to do it on our own. Help us to come back to you. Use this time as a reunion and a revival in the hearts of our church, us as individuals, and as a nation. Father, we thank you that you are exactly that of Father, that you won't leave us. You are there forever to help us trust in you as we live in that peace. Father, we've made commitments today. Help us to keep those in the way that build your kingdom in our homes and in this community. In these following days, Lord, may you work brightly through our church. Would you shine bright even here so that those from corner to corner of the valley of Estes and beyond, that our people who live here will know that you are a true and a living God and that you are the God who cares for us you're the God who saves us. Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.